Welcome to Running Out the Score. I am Alex Kennedy. This is my new show that airs every Tuesday and Friday. This week is a little bit different because of Halloween. We have a Wednesday episode and then a Friday episode, but we appreciate you hanging out with us. I have two great guests today. First, I am joined by Jake Fisher, a senior NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports. Then I'm joined by Jalen Williams, Oklahoma City Thunder Center. Two great interviews. Can't wait for you guys to check them out. Let's start with Jake Fisher. Jake, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm hanging in, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. appreciate you being here. Uh, this is your flu game. You mentioned you're sick. So <laughs> the fact that you're still jumping on me into a ton to me, um, we won't keep you here too long. Uh, I want to start with this trade that just happened uh, 2 a.m. recently. Uh, the Clippers, Sixers, and Thunder. Obviously, James Harden finally gets his wish going to L.A. What are your thoughts on the new-look Clippers, the new-look Sixers? You know, what, what do you think we can expect from both teams going forward? Are the Clippers a contender? Kind of what are your thoughts on both these teams? I'll start with the Clippers. Just that's the order I, I heard you say them in. So <laughs> I think ultimately, you know, Los Angeles has been looking for this connective creator, passer type player, a point guard. I mean, it didn't have to be a point guard. They needed somebody. To, but I, I obviously, traditionally, those are what those are the skills and the, the roles that a point guard provides to a lineup. And the Clippers have never really had that in this whole five years of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George playing together in Los Angeles. So there might not be a better player to do that in last season's league leader in assists. There is going to be, I think, some growing pains with trying to incorporate another big personality, another ball-dominant player. But Harden has done it in the past. When he first got to Brooklyn, he was that connective point guard type player that the Clippers were hoping he would be. He, He really did take a step back in terms of creation stuff to try to supplant and or, or supplement, excuse me, Joel Embiid being the number one option and the MVP of the entire league during their time together in Philadelphia. So I think, you know, we'll have to see it. We'll have to see them grow together and get some opportunities together. But the Clippers are really optimistic that, that James Harden is going to be that missing piece that can get them through the regular season healthy and also help them get deeper into the playoffs than they ever have before in franchise history while Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both theoretically in the last years of their contract before this team goes into a new arena next year. That's kind of the overall context, I think, of what the Clippers have been trying to build and dealing with. From Philly's side of things, You know, to me, you can't really grade them yet anything other than an incomplete because the goal is absolutely going to be moving these two first-round picks that they got from the Clippers by way of Oklahoma City, the, the 2026 pick, and a pick swap in 2029, plus whatever assets the Sixers have on their own you know, stuff remaining, to try and go get a third player, a third star, to pair with Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. I don't know who that's going to be yet. I think it's a little too early. I think figuring out what missing piece will be there as this team continues to move forward in their first season with Nick Nurse, I think like they'll need that time to kind of figure out who the best player, the best archetype will be to add there. But they also, you know, they don't really have a, la- a laundry list of options either. Like this is not the trade deadline. This is November 1st. We're recording this. Very rarely do trades happen at this time of the year. You know, we're six weeks away from the December 15th trigger date that everyone talks about being, you know, the unofficial start of trade season and trades still don't typically happen then. So I think it's going to be a wait and see moment for Philly to see what that missing piece becomes. But all those expiring contracts that got back from the Clippers, Nicole, uh, Nicholas Batum, 
Robert Covington, Marcus Morris, even KJ Martin to a certain extent. Like those guys immediately lose their trade value at the end of the season because they'll be off contract. The Sixers will pretty much need to make a move now in order to kind of have the most value from what those pieces bring back. And if not, they'll have a massive amount of cap space next summer, but there's a risk in waiting that long and wasting, in theory, another year of Joel Embiid's prime, hoping to bring upgrades that have been promised to him. So I I do expect a trade will happen between now and the deadline. I just don't know when. I don't know who. You mentioned the upgrades that were promised to Embiid. Uh, when Sam Amick was on the show, he, he talked about how you have teams that are kind of circling the situation or monitoring, monitoring the situation to see if Embiid could be you know, stolen away. Uh, we know there was the report that the Knicks are interested. Um, do you think other teams are kind of looking at Embiid as that next star that could be potentially on the move or the next superstar that could be available? And, you know, they're kind of just waiting for him to potentially ask out. For sure. I mean, look, even Giannis re-signing in Milwaukee, teams are still hoping and looking and monitoring if he's going to become available. Like, that's just how this game works. I think if you are stacking your chips and expecting and believing that you'll have an opportunity to go and trade for one of those guys when they become available, you're going to be paying attention to all those situations. You're going to be sending your Intel front office staffers around the situation and try to figure out who you can whisper some sweet nothings in some trainer or some former college coach or whatever's ear to try to get back to Joel, to try to get back to Giannis, to try to get back to Luca. Like that stuff's just always going to be happening no matter what, especially when that player is an MVP, especially when that player is on a team that is kind of be being considered going through like a transitional period. Some of the players that have kind of come up early on, I know it's obviously uh, going to be tough because to your point, a lot of trades don't happen early, but some of the guys have been mentioned, you know, Zach Levine, uh, DeMar DeRozan in Chicago, I think is also, you know, worth, uh, you know, monitoring. You have uh, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. Um, what are the latest on those situations? Uh, when Sam was on, he was saying he, he wouldn't be surprised if Levine and or DeRozan could be moved this year. That could be like a, a this season kind of thing. Um, and I'm sure if you're Daryl Morey, those are some of the names that you're kind of looking at. Um, what do you think of those situations? And, you know, could we see a trade happen at some point this year, next offseason, you know, based on what you're hearing? I've been reporting since July that Chicago's been exploring Zach Levine's trade market, and I, I don't think that's really a secret around the league right now. Just he's got a massive contract. I think he still has four years left at roughly forty, fifty million dollars per uh, AAV. So I, I just don't see that as a natural fit for Philly, especially you know the Sixers are going to be looking at a team or looking at players that can help them win a championship right now. And any team that's looking to acquire Zach Levine has to look at the fact that he's been on one winning team his entire career. And for all the talent, for all the athleticism, I mean, this is, this is a game, this is a league and a game about winning. Ultimately, you can make a ton of money. You can make all-star games. You can win dunk contests. You can have a bunch of endorsement deals, but until you actually win games, like a lot of executives are going to have demerits on your resume before that. So I think DeMar is the fact that he's in entering the last or he's in the last year of his contract makes him just more feasible of a trade target for anyone. He's also been there, done that from a winning standpoint. He hasn't advanced to the finals, but I mean, everyone knows those Raptors teams until he got traded were LeBron's biggest foible for a while. And 
He did help San Antonio make repeated trips to the postseason. He's been one of the best closers, kind of like the Joe Johnson of this era, if you will. With Toronto, I mean, the Raptors thing is just going to be about whether that front office decides to blow things up or not. They've kind of been sitting on this fence and deciding which direction to go for about two, two and a half years now. And they didn't trade Kyle Lowry at the, at the deadline in 2021. They let him basically walk out the door for a sign and trade the next summer. They didn't trade Fred Van Vliet. You know, the Clippers were looking at Fred Van Vliet all the way back in February. And there are other teams that, that surely were calling and checking and trying to see if they could have gotten him. And he doesn't even leave by sign and trade. He walks out the door and the Raptors get nothing back. So now that OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam are both in the last years of their deals, you know, I think they're two and two as we record this. They're not exactly you know, at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, but they still haven't looked from from the brief glimpses I've I've watched of them. And you know, they, they have a first year head coach in Darko Ryakovich, and they're still kind of establishing what that identity is going to be. But I don't think Toronto has looked anything like a surefire playoff contender where that front office is going to be batting away. You know, any incoming calls come February at this point. So to me, it's just a matter of what the Raptors decide. Will they go? full rebuild, full tank mode around Scotty Barnes, or will they try to keep running this thing back? But I don't think there was any real definitive contract extension conversations with Pascal and his people in Toronto. And OG Ananobi told the Raptors if they, whether he was offered the deal or whether he just gave the inclination. Like There was no extension happening there either on his side of things. So they're both going to be free agents next summer. If the Raptors aren't in a position where they think that they should be bringing them back or they can be bringing them back, I do think this is this trade deadline is probably the highest likelihood of seeing those guys move compared to years past. Chris Herring had a great article looking at just their struggles early on. They're sh- I think they're shooting 30% from the field when they're driving to the rim, which is crazy. And then they're worse than the league in half-court offense. They've really been struggling there. So, yeah, definitely not the start they hoped for. I think, let me check, they're 1-3 right now. So, not the okay, start they were looking for. Yeah, uh, and then just with the offensive struggles. And it just seems like they're not a team that's you know headed in the right direction. So, I would not be surprised if they blow it up. Um, that's an interesting one to watch. I'm curious, you talk to a lot of executives and scouts and different front office people. Is there a player that maybe fans perceive or value one way, but people in front offices, of uh, you know, value a different way? Because we see it sometimes in the draft, like, you know, a team will reach on a player and they're just much higher on that guy than the general consensus or than fans thought. Um, but is there anyone that comes to mind like that, that maybe executives and scouts perceive or value much higher than fans or just other you know people just watch from the outside looking in? Um, that's a tough question. I'm going to rack my brain here for all I keep talking. I mean, I think Tyus Jones might be someone Mm -hmm. that a team could look at come the trade deadline. Like he is definitely just a a table setter, floor raiser, point guard that can kind of, I mean, every, every time John Morant went out in Memphis, he stabilized the ship. He kept everyone involved, all that type of stuff. And not saying not having Tyus Jones in Memphis is the reason why the Grizzlies are 0 4 right now, but I, I do wonder if that absence and their lack of success might further bolster people's valuations of, of Tyus, where he didn't get traded for too, too much this summer. You know, he was part of that three team deal that brought uh, Marcus Smart to Memphis and Christos Porzingis to Boston. So he's kind of like been parked in Washington right now, where he's 
has an opportunity to be a starting point guard for the first time in his career. Uh, but other than that, I think, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting him to be like the biggest needle mover, but I, I do think we could see a team try to reincorporate him into a winning environment come the trade deadline. And we could see, I mean, he's going to be lost in Washington. I mean, they're not going to be very good. And all of a sudden you could see him change teams and have a, a pretty huge winning impact. Also like TJ McConnell is someone that I think a lot of teams would be interested in kind of prying from the Indiana Pacers. The Phoenix Suns have definitely had him on their radar. I reported that uh, quite often, but those types of players, like those veteran backup point guards that just make winning plays and are connected players, I think they have much higher regard amongst front offices than your average fan. Yeah, those are good ones. Uh, I want to ask you about the Thunder and just their future. Uh, everyone talks about 15 first-round picks over the next seven years. I think 22 second-round picks. And Sam Presti is still getting involved in different trades. You know, this James Harden deal being the most recent example. Uh, I have Jalen Williams from the Thunder coming on the show next, and we're talking about his game and their start to the season. But I want to ask you just about the vision going forward, because at some point they're going to have to start trading some of these draft picks, either, you know, packaging them together to move up or packaging them for other players, because there's no way they can use all those picks what do you think of kind of what the Thunder have built, the draft capital that they've kind of stockpiled, and where they go from here? I really like Josh Giddy. I really like Shea Gildas Alexander. I really like Jalen Williams. I, I I believe it's the Santa Clara Jalen Williams. Uh, you're, you're not you're not having the other. You're not having so Santa I actually, Clara Jalen. Yeah, I'm having the center. Yep, uh, from Arkansas. That Jalen Williams. Yeah, yeah it's so, always tough when you just say it and don't spell it. <laughs> yeah, Santa Clara Jalen Williams. J Dub. Uh, I'm a big fan of. Arkansas Jalen Williams makes some fun plays. He's a Boris Diaw type. That's how I used to play. I'm I'm a fan of him. But those three guys, I think, are are the real needle movers there. We'll see what happens to Chet. Chet's clearly been an impact player so far. I do wonder what his ceiling will ultimately be without adding some more weight and some more strength, like Nicole Jokic alluded to after their game. But with all the picks, you know, that's why they're doing things like trading a 2026 pick for a 2027 swap. You know, they're doing creative things to try to take higher gambles at, at you know, the top of the lottery. And they're also, you know, they're, they're quick to trade three first round picks to move up one pick to go get Osmond Diang with the Knicks. Or, you know, they did a trade with Denver. I forget which year it was, but sometime in the last two years for that number 30th pick. Uh, I believe it was the pick two years ago that became Peyton Watson. Like they're, they're, they're not just sitting on their hands and letting these picks burn a hole in their pocket. So I understand why certain people could look at it and say, well, the Thunder have to make a trade. They have to do this. I just think they know that they're sitting on all this monopoly money. And whenever there is an opportunity to make a trade, they can just kind of snap their fingers and get it done. Plus, they still have all this opportunity to have all this inbound trade activity coming to their phone lines. And that's a pretty powerful position to be in where – I don't necessarily think the Clippers and Sixers deal gets done without the Thunder kind of helping things move over the finish line. And when you're doing that, you just automatically have opportunities to continually improve your team margin by margin. That is just a massive advantage in a small fixed economy where you only have 30 teams for now that are competing for all these different bites at the apple. There's a limited amount of currency, right? Where every team in theory just gets a first and a second round pick every year. So there's only 60 picks to be moved per season, like not in, in totality, but you kind of get what I'm saying. So yeah. when you when you have 20 of those 60, you know they don't have that much, but it just it starts to warp the the math a little bit and the valuations of things that you know I think it really does help get things done and 
kind of establish herself as, as a more competitive overall entity. Now, this wouldn't be an NBA show if I didn't ask you about Victor Wembanyama. Feels like everyone's talking about Wemby, understandably so. Uh, obviously, he's raw, still needs to develop, uh, just like Chet needs to bulk up, I think, a bit. Um, but every time you watch him, there are just a handful of plays where it's just insane uh, seeing some of the things he's able to do on the court. What are your thoughts on what Wemby has shown so far and you know his long-term potential? You know, he's looked exactly how I thought he would, where he'd make some jaw-dropping plays like that poster dunk on Phoenix last night. And, you know, the, the shooting is real. He's not like a 40% knockdown three-point shooter right now, but I think that will come in time. Like, it, the touch is so soft, the ball handling, he moves like a guard. The defense, I mean, how he's go- getting out there and blocking uh, shots on the perimeter. And also, I mean, he just like... One play with Grayson Allen last night. Allen like drew a baseline and he head faked him once and then twice and then thought he had him the third time, but Victor just stuck up a arm and blocked it. Like his impact on defense, I think, has been a little bit even better than I thought it would be right mm-hmm. away. Just because he is so long, like as much as much as you can compare him and Chet, like he dwarfs Chet to a certain degree. He's four inches bigger than him. His wingspan's longer. Like it's just we've never seen anything like him. To, and you know, watching him in the context of against Phoenix, like I do wonder. As he gets stronger, I mean, Kevin Durant's not a bully, right? But he's still got strength to use, and he can kind of give a little elbow or a shoulder to shed some money, you know, just to give him enough daylight to pull up from the baseline. Like, once we see him really be able to do that, like, I think fans need to start wrapping their head around him being more of like a seven foot four Kevin Durant as opposed to like a back to the basket pick and roll rim runner type. But he'll be able to do that too. And that's just the real scary thing, like at a certain point when he's fully unlocked, he might truly be able to play every position at seven foot four, which obviously we've never seen that before. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, I'm, I love big what ifs. Every time someone's on the show, we had Sean Marion on. And he talked about how he nearly got traded to Boston. KG almost went to Phoenix and picks almost went to Minnesota. I asked Tracy McGrady about, you know, forming a big three nearly with Tim Duncan, Grant Hill. I'm a big fan of those kind of things. You mentioned one trade that almost happened or, you know, could have happened, and it was Fred Van Vliet and the Clippers. Since you're so plugged in and are always talking to executives and people in front offices, are are there any big what-ifs or uh, big trades that nearly happened that maybe the the public doesn't know about that, you know, stands out to you in the last couple of years that would have been interesting? You know, the Kyle Lowry stuff we talked about earlier, you know, if he goes to the Lakers— at the 2021 trade deadline, the Russell Westbrook stuff never happens. And I do wonder, you know, that, you know, Westbrook in LA was kind of one of the bigger, you know, storylines of the NBA for the last 18 months before they ultimately traded him to Utah. He got waived. He goes to the Clippers. And now it's kind of hunky dory. You know, it's a, it's a blip on the radar. It's almost like it never happened before. But for a while, those were a long 18 months. And it all could have been changed if Kyle Lowry was there. But also, like, what if that doesn't go well too? What if, you know, Miami doesn't have $37 million on their books and, you know, they have other opportunities to pivot and go elsewhere. Like, would Bradley Beal have been a member of the Heat? Like, you know, those types of things. I think the NBA is definitely like a domino effect type league where, you know, one trade doesn't happen. So this trade does, or this guy gets fired and, you know, then this guy gets hired and then the ripple effects, you know, are what they are. So, it's it is fun sometimes to trace out how those tentacles can stretch. To me, like the first one that just comes to mind is, yeah, if Kyle Lowry got traded to the Lakers in 2021, I wonder what other ripple effects would have happened from that. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, last night, I jumped on an NBA uh, Twitter spaces, and there were a lot of people on there, uh, analysts, that were saying, you know, even though Phoenix hasn't been at full strength and maybe hasn't looked as great as you'd want them to, that they're still their pick coming out of the West to go to the NBA Finals. And that kind of surprised me. I think Denver has looked so dominant. They seem like a perfect team. They have the chem- the continuity, the chemistry, and the talent. So I still think Denver comes out of the West. But I'm curious. Obviously, this is way too early. There's been only a couple of games. But who is your way too early NBA Finals pick as of right now? I, I would agree with you that you got to go with Denver until they're dethroned. Like, they are... A well-oiled machine, Nicole Jokic is the, is the greatest player in, in the world right now, and I just I, I I will refuse to think otherwise until proven otherwise. You know, in the East, I am gonna after just the early sample size, I'm gonna take Boston over Milwaukee right now. I think the Dame addition has been fantastic. I mean, I, I was there in Milwaukee for the season opener, and to see him do his thing while Giannis is standing next to him is a, a pretty scary sight. But I just think the overall talent level from one through nine that Boston has, even, you know, the Peyton Pritchards and the Luke Cornets that have been there and they know that that system and they know that team, I, I think as long as they stay healthy and that, that's going to be the, you know, the big if for everybody, I, I think Boston right now is, is taking my, uh, my pick for Eastern Conference champion, and, and we'll see some Nuggets Celtics right now. I saw Frank Vogel said something earlier today that there's no timetable for the return of Bradley Beal or Devin Booker. Now, I know James Jones and that whole Suns organization can be, you know, a bit quiet with stuff like that. They don't like throwing out details, and uh, that's not too strange for the Suns. But are you hearing anything on that situation? Is that something that we should be concerned about, or does that mean it's probably going to be a week or two? Like, any, any uh, I guess, sources telling you things on that situation? No, I, I, to be honest, I don't typically check in too much on injury stuff. That's just not really my forte. So yeah. I got nothing for you there, unfortunately. No worries. Um, last question for you. I have to ask this. When yeah. Jordan Schultz was on, we talked about NFL reporting and kind of the life of an insider. He kind of went from being in basketball and doing some other things and then made the shift over to insider, just like yourself. You know, you wrote your fantastic book. You used to have great features. And then now, you know, you're doing a lot of the reporting. So I'm curious, what has that transition been like for you? And I mean, it's been awesome watching you become one of the top insiders, uh, you know, since making that shift. Um, but it is it is interesting. Most people don't realize, you know, you're on the clock 24-7. You know, you're constantly sources are reaching out to you. You're having to keep up communication with sources. What has that life been like? And, and what's that transition been like for you? Thanks, man. It's It's been interesting. You know, I, I, it's not something I ever really saw myself doing to this degree, to the point where like whenever, whenever a, a young college student uh, or just an aspiring writer asked me, you know, how to become an insider, I always tell them like, don't try and you'll have a much better effort doing that. Because for me, I, I can't speak for everyone else, but for me, you know, I've developed a lot of, I think, authentic and genuine relationships with people around the league to the point where I'm, I've, I've been able to cultivate some trust and, you know, rapport with people to, to help me out. Cause that's really what it is. Like you're asking for help. You're asking people all the time to give you things. Then again, like there, it does become a two way street and people do ask you for things and they want to know what you know. And I, I'll get a call. I got a call for, when I was at a concert, uh, two weeks ago. And I said, I can't talk, but I can text. And it was from Philly giving me an update on their Clippers trade talks. Oh, wow. And like I tweeted it out. And then I had another call from Harden's side while I was at the show. And I told him, you know, I can't talk here, but I'll call you after. Like that stuff is definitely, 
interesting. Um, but at the end of the day, like I try to conduct my business by talking to people who I like and it's made it pretty, uh, worthwhile, I think just to be chatting with more regularly with those people. I mean, there's always going to be times where you got to call someone who you don't really know or don't really have a relationship with. And it's either going to blow up in your face or they're going to tell you to F off and never call them again. But I think overall it's been very beneficial for my career and life. Um, but yeah, there are definite aspects of it that I wasn't expecting that I would love to turn off, but that's just part of the job. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely interesting. Fans just see all the reports and, you know, there is a huge benefit in terms of career and followers and all that kind of stuff. But you are kind of on the clock anytime someone reaches out and has news for you. And it's like, all right, I'm working now. It doesn't matter where you are. More importantly, uh, who is performing and how is the concert? <laughs> uh, her name's Chapel Roan. She's kind of like a new queer icon. And uh, my girlfriend had a friend send her uh, send her, her album listened to it. It was great. She was playing at the venue on the corner from our apartment here in Brooklyn. So we awesome. just got tickets and went. Her vocal was incredible. She was really, really good. That's awesome. Well, man, it's been awesome to see again, you breaking so many stories and getting so many big rumors and, and stuff like that. Everyone, if you aren't already following Jake, make sure you are at Jake L. Fisher. Does a fantastic job. Also, I think still, to, you know, one of the best feature writers in this business, like, you know, you're doing a lot of the insider stuff now, but when you do a feature or some of these interview quote based uh, articles, they're fantastic as well. So I think the versatility is impressive. Uh, where, where else can people can find your work? You know, can you tell people where they can find all your work? Yeah, I mean, everything I'm doing is with Yahoo right now. We've got, and hopefully for a long time, uh, we've got a pretty loaded podcast channel now called Ball Don't Lie. As you see on my hat, we've got shows Monday and Wednesday with Vinny Goodwill. Dan Devine does Divine Intervention, kind of like a basketball therapy show on Tuesdays. And then Dan and I have no cap room on Thursdays. So as many subscribers and five-star reviewers for the Ball Don't Lie channel that we can get, that'd be great. And yeah, Yahoo Sports, download our app, play fantasy basketball on Yahoo, all, all that stuff. I actually have my one fantasy basketball league on Yahoo, so I'm, I'm doing my part there. There we go. <laughs> Everyone, make sure you guys are following at Jake L. Fisher. Read his great work at Yahoo. Check out his podcast. Give it a review. Give it a rating. Uh, Jake, thanks for your time, man. It's always great chatting with you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Prize Picks. If you haven't tried daily fantasy sports on prize picks, you're missing out. You pick two to six players and whether they'll score more or less points than their prize pick projection. If you're right, you win big. You can win 25 times your money on any entry. At prize picks, you aren't competing against other people, it's just you versus the projections. Prize picks offers projections on virtually every sport NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, overseas basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, and more. You can mix and match players from different sports, so you could have Stephen Curry and Patrick Mahomes in the same entry, for example. If you download Prize picks today and use the promo code RUNNING, they'll double your deposit up to $100. That's the promo code RUNNING, and they'll double your deposit up to $100. It takes 30 seconds or less to build a lineup on PrizePix. To show you just how easy it is, I'm going to build a lineup right now. All right, so we're on Prize Picks. Thanks to everyone that entered on Monday, by the way, and sent me their lineups. Casey Thompson, Michael Gonzalez, David Rice. Appreciate that. Uh, we're going to go block steals. Let's go Chet Holmgren, more than 2.5 blocks and steals. And then let's go over the NFL. I've had a lot of luck lately with these superstars and their receiving yards. So let's go AJ Brown. Where is he? There he is. 
more than 94.5 receiving yards. He's been doing it every game. He's been unstoppable. Let's go with a $10 entry. And just like that, we are entered. Thanks to PrizePix for sponsoring this episode. Use that promo code RUNNING and they will double your deposit up to $100. That is the promo code RUNNING. Let's get back to the show. Jalen, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So I've been talking about this Thunder team a lot on this show. We, we kind of chose our surprise teams and the Thunder were my surprise team. I felt like this could be a play-in team, playoff team. I think everyone kind of talks about the young core and all the future draft picks and stuff like that, but they don't realize the talent that you guys have right now and just how competitive you guys can be. What are some of your goals for this season or expectations that you guys have kind of discussed as a team? Yeah, um, I think just as a team, we just want to continue to get better. We're we're still a young team. Nothing changed from last year. And um, we know that we have to continue to earn respect in this league and continue to get better as a team. And of course, with new pieces, everybody's buying into what we do as Thunder players and what the, what the Thunder and how the Thunder are. And we just want to continue to get better and work on building chemistry and doing things like that. How nice is it to be part of such a young core where everyone's kind of at the same point in their lives, same age. It seems like those are the teams that have been kind of the most close-knit teams over the years because everyone kind of, uh, you know, a lot of times people have families and they're, you know, there's uh, either a lot of veterans and a couple young players, but to have everyone kind of on the same page and around the same age, how nice is that? Honestly, it's great. So coming into the league, I thought it was just going to be like strictly business, like as soon as you join and of course, I might be lucky just with the team that I'm on, but it was it was just like a family, like a college environment when I got here. And being with the guys that relate on the same level, we talk about playing video games with each other and things like that. We all have dogs. Just being with a group of guys that have the same uh, things that they like doing as me, it's great. And it honestly helps us on the court. We want to see each other succeed. We want to be happy for each other when somebody makes a shot, just regardless of what it is. And I think us being so young, it, it helps our chemistry even more. I feel like you guys have the best young core in the league because not only do you have a ton of star power, you guys are very deep. I mean, it's really incredible how many great young players you guys have. You know, when you, I see you guys are near the top of pretty much every ranking or at number one on pretty much every young ranking list. Uh, what do you think of this young core? And and I know you've gotten a chance to kind of grow with some of the guys now over the course of a year. What are your thoughts on just where you guys rank around the league as far as young cores go? Yeah, um, I think that when we go into games and when we talk about playing other teams, we don't even think about us being young. We try to go into every game with a clear level mindset and just go out there and play our game. At the end of the day, age doesn't really matter when on the basketball court. And um, I think for a young group of guys, we have a lot of guys that, that's been around the league and seen different games, been in different situations. Like we've had guys that's been in game sevens in the uh, bubble and we have guys that's been on different teams. So to be on a young team with this much experience, I feel like we we have a lot of guys that know what they're doing. I interviewed you about a year ago, and you you said you were, you know, really impressed and surprised with the fan support when you first got to OKC and just kind of how blown away you were by just how much support there is. Now, you know, how have, have, having been there for more than a year, what have you kind of seen from that fan support and just how passionate are those fans? Because people talk about it being a smaller market, but they don't realize just how diehard those fans are. Yeah, I, the feel the feeling's still the same. Um, the fans love us, and they realize that we love them just as much. And how much they support us. Like we just did our home opener, and it was crazy in there. It was loud. It was sold out. Everybody was cheering to the end of the game. And even like when we're at stores, they're respectful. They're people that want to see us succeed. So the fans are great, honestly. 
You told me last year that uh, Chet Holmgren's a once-in-a-lifetime player. I think now he just became the first player in NBA history to start his uh, career uh, with 10-plus blocks, 10-plus threes. It's just so special what he can do on the floor. Uh, you spent time with him last year, but now that he's actually on the floor and contributing, what have you seen from him uh, on the court and behind the scenes? Yeah, all of us guys on the team knew how special Chet was. Um, he's a great player. It's, there's not a lot of seven-foot guys that can do what he does out there, and we knew what he was, and I'm, I'm glad that he's able to show it. Of course, I try to step in whenever I can to help him with some small things that he might not know yet just because this is his first time playing, but he's out there doing great. Um, he's playing. He's getting uh, playing great with the guys. Everybody loves him out there. Um, it's great knowing that if you get beat, you have a guy down there that's going to block a shot that'll meet anybody at the rim. And um, what he's doing out there, I'm, I'm really happy for him, and I'm excited to see what the future holds. I feel like you're like a coach's dream or a fan's dream, just with the hustle plays, taking charges, the leadership behind the scenes. Uh, I'm curious, how much have you learned as a player in your time in the NBA? Because a lot of guys, you know, they they learn a lot throughout high school, college, but then come to the NBA and it's like a whole other level. You can focus on basketball full time, you know, way more resources. What have you learned from the time you entered the NBA to now? Um, I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, body, basketball, being a man, just everything in general. I feel like I've learned a lot. And that's always been my focus is just to continue to learn, regardless if I'm playing 30 minutes or if I'm not playing at all, I try to stay locked into the game. I try to read what the defense is happening. When coaches drawing up plays on the sideline, I try to think what's going to happen when he when this play happens, like who's going to get the shot, what how the defense is going to rotate, and just trying to think about plays like that. But I feel like I've learned a lot. So you mentioned that guys play video games. And I have to ask you, you are the NBA's official uh, champion, Call of Duty champion, the first ever competition that was in Las Vegas during Summer League. You had 59 kills in two minutes, won $10,000. So yeah. first of all, I have to ask you, are you the best Call of Duty player in the NBA? And yeah. how does Call of Duty and video games kind of bring players together? Um, first off, yes. And uh, second, I think, I think gaming and Call of Duty is is a great way to bring players together. And to me, playing the game is my way of getting away from life. Like, it's my way of getting away from basketball. Basketball is my life. I love basketball, but when I'm playing the game, it's like a whole different vibe. Nobody looks at me as the NBA player or treats me any type of way. I can just be myself on the game and go out there and have fun. And I play video games. I play Call of Duty my whole life. So it's something I think I'll do till till – games end or whenever I don't know but game has always been a part of my life and Call of Duty I think it brings a lot of people together I think Derek Lively came in second in that tournament uh who are some of the other best NBA players that you've kind of faced off either in Call of Duty or just in all games who are some of the best NBA gamers aside from yourself since you're number one yeah I think uh everybody on Oklahoma's probably we probably got the best gaming team so I'm just going to Trey's good at games. Oos is good at FIFA. Uh, Dub likes Spider-Man. Spider-Man does game. He likes games like that. You got Shay. He's good at FIFA. Uh, Wiggs, he's good at 2K. Um, we got a lot of guys. We just always try to – it's a competition with us. We always talk about games. Of course, I'm the best gamer on the team. But I feel like we got a lot of good guys on our team. And we're all the top – we're the top 15, 17 guys in gaming. I like it. I like the confidence. Uh, I know you're excited about the release of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 on November 10th. Uh, I, I heard you got to play a beta version. Uh, is that correct? And how excited are you for the game to come out? Um, I saw the. I saw it. I didn't get oh, to okay. play it. 
Yeah, but I'm super excited. I've always been like I get on there the first day, play play campaign, get on their multiplayer, play with my friends on Xbox. I've always done that, and I'm I'm super excited. I think we've been talking about it every day. We just played Warzone last night, so um, I'm super excited for it. This is the 20th anniversary of COD, so I'm curious. When did you first get into the game, and what are some of your favorite titles, uh, characters, things like that from over the years? Um, honestly, so all my brothers are 10 plus years older than me. So I grew up watching them play games and I used to be the annoying brother that sat behind them and asked them, when is it my turn or can I play and just watching them play. Then finally it was my turn. I got my own system. And the first one I played was Modern Warfare uh, 2. And then Black Ops 2 was my favorite. Uh, I played Black Ops 2 all the time. Towns, uh, Origins. I always play Zombies maps and those are my favorite games for sure. Did they ever pull the Big Brother move where they gave you a controller that wasn't plugged in? Was that the move? They tried to. They tried <laughs> to. But I realized that once they, my brother, he, um, he got he kind of tricked me. He started having me play the campaign and grinding his guns for him and grinding his mom player, whatever it was. So when he played online, he had the good player. And they used to trick me like that back in the day. I love it. I've definitely pulled that move with my brother as well. Um, I'm curious. It seems like nowadays there's so many NBA players that are streaming. And, uh, you know, not only have we seen streamers and stuff on Twitch that just can kind of make a career out of that and make big money, but a lot of NBA players are doing it too. And it lets them kind of connect with fans. What are your thoughts on on just kind of that opportunity for fans to be able to connect with their favorite players and just uh, how many NBA players we're seeing stream? Yeah, I think it's really cool. I'm actually... I've been wanting to get into streaming just because I play games every day and it it wouldn't hurt just to add a streaming to it. And I watch, I've grown up watching YouTube. I watch people play video games and I think it's awesome just being able to connect with fans through another, through another resource. And I mean, it's just another thing. I, I want to stream one day. This is a two part question. A, what's your advice for someone that wants to be able to get 59 kills in two minutes and then B, what's your advice for someone that wants to get better at basketball and someday be in the NBA? All right. To get better at Call of Duty, I think I think you just play the game. Play the game every day. Have fun. Um, enjoy it. You can't stress about it. Uh, everybody has been bad at video games. And <laughs> you just continue to play it and you get better. You slowly get better. You figure out what guns are better, what attachments are better, what kill streaks help you out, what, how to move, just things like that. You just continue to play the game. And I think it translates over to basketball, too. You work hard. You continue to work. Everybody at one point couldn't shoot, couldn't dribble, couldn't guard. You just continue to work on those things. And the more time you put into something, you're going to get better at it. And will we see you defend your title next year in Las Vegas? I mean, 59 kills, two minutes, pretty hard to beat. But will we see you defend that title? Um, I definitely will be there. And – Honestly, 59 wasn't my best performance. I'm Ooh. upset with myself because I could have gotten the 60s, maybe 70s. And next year, I will be in the 60s, minimum. I like it. I like the confidence. <laughs> Last question for you. This is kind of more on the basketball side. Again, I mentioned so much of the talk about the Thunder is about, you know, 15 future first-round picks and a million second-round picks in the next few years. I'm curious, as a player, what is it like to kind of have that in the future and know that this team has so many picks in the future and can keep adding talent. I mean, there's not, I know the fan base and everyone's super excited because the future is so bright. And not only do you have this great young core now, but so many opportunities to improve either through the draft or through trade in the future as a player that's on the team right now, kind of what is that like to be in that situation and see so many future picks and, and such a bright future? Yeah, of course, the, the 
the basketball player, the competitive player in me wants to continue to get better as a team. I want to win as many games as I can, um, win as much as I can, but I got to control what I can control. And of course, I want to get better as a team, but I can't, I have nothing to do with the picks and I just want to focus on basketball. For sure. Well, I appreciate your time, man. This has been fantastic. And, uh, Good luck next season, uh, you know, with the Call of Duty tournament, of course. Good luck this season in basketball. Good luck yeah. next year trying to beat 60 uh, kills in the Call of Duty tournament. Yeah, appreciate you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you to Jake Fisher and Jalen Williams for hanging out with me. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're watching this. We have new episodes every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Until next time, thanks for watching.